4: Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Give us a call, 208-991-4783. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Uh, well, this episode of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio is brought to you by the support of our listeners, and I want to especially thank Christine, who sends along a donation and will be sending along access to our premium site. Thank you so much for your support, Christine. Well, we're going to bring you something very different in the world of radio. If you grew up in the uh, era of television, uh, particularly 80s and 90s, long-running shows would take a last bow. A final episode in which there would be changes made to the characters' lives and plot lines would all be neatly tied up. Whether it was growing pains, MacGyver touched by an angel, tens of long-running shows expect a send-off, answers key questions. Perhaps the one exception to this rule, uh, is that uh, detective shows usually they they don't. Uh, The Monk uh, series finale was a bit of an exception to this rule just because of the uh, type of character Monk was. Uh, In the 1960s, when Perry Mason went off the air, the ending of the series left Perry, Della, and Paul planning for their next case. An indication that perhaps when it comes to those who solve mysteries, they don't necessarily see or seek a a specific uh, plot resolution for them. Because we imagine them just continuing as they were, solving their uh, solving cases as they come along. In radio, is rare among all shows, almost unheard of of detective shows, to have uh, an ending to a series that uh, radically changed uh, plot lines and resolved them. The only two that I've uh, heard are the radio series finale for Have Gun Will Travel and the finale of a 15-minute show called uh, Family Doctor. And I've uh, found that there are a few other shows that were syndicated uh, in a block of episodes that had a very uh, definite ending to uh, the adventures. But the shows people talk about and regularly listen to half-hour shows generally didn't have endings. The Candy Mats in San Francisco run definitely had an ending. One reason why programs didn't usually uh, have an ending is there was always a possibility that you could uh, be brought back to the air, and you didn't want to mess up a, a plot line that uh, could be uh, further uh, explored. Uh, for example, uh, there was Broadway Is My Beat, which was canceled in 1953, only to be brought back as a summer replacement uh, series in 1954. Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar was canceled uh, several times and brought back. Comedy programs went off the air for the summer, always thinking that there was going to be a next season. And sometimes shows were canceled on one network only to be brought back on another. Well Candy Matson's San Francisco origination was very different, this episode aired in April of 1951, April 29th. And by then, it had really become apparent that San Francisco's attempt to become a radio town uh, to compete with Hollywood and New York wasn't going to happen, uh, particularly with the rise of television coming and the decline of radio. And it was doubtful that they even thought that there would be any interest in bringing Candy Matson back as a national program from Hollywood. The program had been well-beloved by San Francisco listeners, as we heard it being recognized on a previous episode. The writers decided to give us that rarest of commodities in old-time radio, a series finale. And some may like it, others may not. But even for uh, being a finale, it makes it something special, so I hope you'll enjoy it. Here now is Candy's Last Case.
5: Hello, UConn 28209. Yes, this is Candy Madsen.
3: Yeah, Candy, this is a madder dash than the one made by Paul Revere. Look out for that man. I
5: see him, Rembrandt. I
3: know it, you know it, but does he? What's the reason for this wild scramble, girl?
5: I started to explain, Ducky. Look at that car up ahead about a block.
3: Yes, it's a police car. That's
5: right, and do you know who's driving? Lieutenant Ray Mallard, that's who, uh, whom?
3: Oh, Mallard's driving. There's no reason to get yourself such a snitch. I imagine that I've driven before. Huh? I'm not
5: worried about the mechanical aspects of placing a car in motion and guiding it to a predetermined terminal. It's the reason behind it that bothers me. Said reason being what? I don't know what the reason is, and that's the rub. For days, Mallory's been avoiding me like the plague. I call him on the phone, all I get are muffled sentences. Nothing makes sense. Last night, I waited in front of the Hall of Justice and followed him when he left.
3: And did he lead you, dear, into a pool room, some such thing?
5: pool room, I wouldn't have minded. I shoot a pretty good stick of snooker, you know.
3: That's beside the point, Candy. Come now, concentrate. Where did Mallard lead you?
5: To a small hotel in Elliston. We met a man in the lobby who was wearing dark glasses. They huddled in a corner and talked for a while. Then Mallard left. I didn't duck back fast enough, and Mallard saw me. Brother, what a bawling out I got.
3: Strange.
5: With that, he got in his car and drove away like frantic.
3: That certainly doesn't sound like Mallard.
5: I called to apologize this morning. He wouldn't even talk to me. And now this. He never drives a squad car unless it's absolutely necessary. Now you've
3: got me curious. Something must be up.
5: You're darn tootin' and I want in on it.
3: Yes. Who does Marit think he is keeping things from us like this?
5: Oh, he's stopping. I'd better hold it up right here.
3: He's getting out, Candy.
5: So I see. Look, he's waving up at the middle flat. Do you see anyone in the window up there, Ducky?
3: Yes, a man. I can't... Quite make out his features, though.
5: Yes, yes, he's waving back.
3: What's Mara doing now?
5: Going up the stairs and in. Oh, you like
3: that. Rather delicious, isn't it? Oh, I squirm with intrigue. Well,
5: I squirm, too. Come on, Rembrandt, squirm out of the car. This is one time I don't mind doing a shadow job strictly for free.
1: From San Francisco, the National Broadcasting Company presents another yarn in the adventures of that attractive private eye, Candy Matson. Yukon 28209.
5: I knew there was something wrong three days before. Whenever I walk into Mallard's office in the Hall of Justice where he lieutenants for the San Francisco Homicide, and all I get out of the big guy is an "Ugh," something's foul in Dixie. You can play that in any key you like. And the UGG's kept up, mentally and verbally. Add that situation with Mallard's mysterious friend in the dark glasses and you've got something. Especially when lieutenant boy stops off at an old flat, waves to a gent, the gent waves back, and Mallard goes inside. <sighs> now we're all tidy and up-to-date. ¶¶ We waited for about 20 minutes outside by my car. Two or three other people came and went. Finally, Mallard came out, carrying a very small box in his hand. He put it inside his coat pocket. The bulge wouldn't show any more than usual. That's where he keeps his police gun. Then he got in his car and drove off. Rembrandt and I immediately went to work. Object? A social call on our unknown friend in the second floor window.
3: Say, Candy, this is most mystifying.
5: That it is, Lucky. In all the years I've known Mallard, I've never seen him act like this before. What are we up to now, Dal? We're going to take a look at the guy Mallard went to see. Find out what he looks like. Sort of a racket he's in. Supposing Mallard hears about it,
3: won't you be even further into the doghouse?
5: Indubitably faithful old friend. Well, that's the chance I'll have to take. Here we are. Little flat. This must be one of those babies built before the fire in the quick. Yes, all
3: 1906 conveniences, including a door knocker. No, I'll
5: give it a glass, that's it.
3: What can... you say? This sort place gives me a galloping case of depression.
5: Yeah, I know what you mean. All the ghosts of the
6: past have sent Try it again, remember.
3: Any harder, and the building will slide off its foundation.
5: What is this? You could have heard that last knock out of the farallone.
3: Maybe he didn't hear you.
5: Anyone in the neighborhood would have heard that Now I'm gonna try the door. Ah, voila. Except that it only moves about two inches. Shove on it, dear. I thought exactly. It gives a little. Help me, remember. Very well. Yeah. Hey, look. Under the door. That's blood.
3: I wouldn't call it ketchup.
5: Come on. Once again, and harder. Oh, my word. That's the polite term. These guys are dead as they come. look. What yeah? This is the Joe Mallard was talking to the hotel lobby, even to the dark glasses.
3: I wonder what Mallard will say about this. I
5: was wondering the same thing. Come on, Randra. I don't think I feel very well. That was an understatement. I felt worse than that. But I had to follow through now. Our next step t- took us down to the Hall of Justice for a little visit with Mallard. He was in. Just beat his back by about ten minutes. He was still wearing the same scowl he had on the last time I'd spoken to him. You're still mad at me, Mellard?
3: No, I'm mad at myself. Did you stub your toe somewhere along the line, Minion? Is that it? No, but I'm about to.
5: What do you mean by that, Footflash?
3: You'll find out. And
2: it's all your fault, too.
5: You mean about last night, my following you?
2: No, that was a dirty trick, but I forgive you. It isn't that.
5: Then what is it? Yes. For goodness' sake. Stop
3: sounding like a throppany trail book.
2: I'll say what I have to say in my own good time, and nobody can force me to do otherwise.
5: I've got news for you, Junior. The police can make you talk.
2: The police? What kind of triple talk is this?
5: We followed you out to that flat just now. We saw everything. Oh,
2: oh the underhanded... So oh, you know.
5: Yes, but why did you do it, Mallard?
3: Because I'm a fool. Just a plain fool, and I ought to have my head examined. You well, know, for the poor fellow you left out there. He needs his head examined, too. He
5: sure does. Got a hole in it about the size a forty-five slug would make.
2: Wait a minute. What are you talking about?
5: Don't you know.
2: I thought I did. Now, I don't think so. Now, come on, quick. What's this hole in the head routine? He's serious, Candy.
5: I really think he is. All
2: right, I'm serious. Come on, spill.
5: Okay, okay. I'll tell it to you like you don't know. We followed you out there. You wave up to the second story, man looks out the window and waves back. Try. You go inside, we wait twenty minutes further away. You come out with a small object in your hand. You put said object in the inside coat pocket.
2: Good report, most efficient. You
5: drive off, we go up to pay a visit. The host wasn't willing. He'd been shot to death. Huh?
2: Oh, brother.
5: And you thought I'd done it? Well. <laughs> Really, Mallard, I don't see anything to laugh about.
2: (laughs) That's because you're not sitting where I am. (laughs) Oh, Sister Susie, did you get your clues all fouled up? Let's get out of here. We got work to do.
5: My mental reflexes climbed on a merry-go-round and whirled gaily for several moments. I was really confused. I didn't have time to do much about it because Mallard whisked this back to the flat. An hour later, the joint had been carefully gone over, photographed, and the body of the poor guy removed to the coroner's office for an autopsy report. It didn't take long to find out that I was right. It had been a forty-five that did the dirty work. Rembrandt had to leave, so I went back with Mallard to his office.
2: Still think I had something to do with this thing, Cupcake?
5: Oh, in, in my heart of hearts, no. But, of course not, but jeepers, look at the facts, Mallard. You come out, we go up. The guy's stiff as a starch shirt. What would you think?
2: The same thing you thought.
5: The time element is what gets me. Not more than three minutes had elapsed between the time you left and the time we got up there.
2: I know. I can account for that, I think. But I'm not going to. As a matter of fact, there are several things I could account for, but I'm not going to.
5: Now who's doing the triple talk?
2: I am. Deliberately. I'm going to tell you something, Candy. Listen carefully. You're a cute little old snoop. You've snooped your way into the middle of this thing, and I'm going to toss it right into your lap and let you snoop your way out. And when you come up with the right answers, you're going to get the shock of your life. I am he. I think so. At least it was quite a shock to me.
5: You mean you've got the solution to this deal already? Part of it. You're a much smarter foot than I thought you were.
2: I don't know who killed the guy, if that's what you mean.
5: i take it back, then. And now you, you have really got me all topsy-turvy.
2: No, <laughs> oh, this is working out even better than I thought it would. Okay, Tootsie, you've got the ball. It's all yours. Take it from here.
5: You mean you actually want me to help you on this deal? Sure.
2: Who knows? You might come up with something. I'll beat it, will you? i got to find me a killer.
5: I was so puzzled by then that I wanted to wrap the guy over his head. I fought off the impulse and left. If he gave me carte blanche on the killing, I was going to take advantage of it, if for no other reason than to prove I was right, and Mallard wasn't the joker who did it. There's only one place to start, back at the flat where the guy had been done in. The cops had gone, so I did some question work. The landlady lived in the flat below. No, she didn't know the man. A gal named Jennifer Shirley had leased the middle flat for the past five years. I uh, swung a deal with the landlady, got the key to same, (laughs) not the landlady, the flat, and moved in. I had a good night's sleep and waited all the next day. Nothing. The odd thing about the deal was the fact that the cops hadn't been back. They usually return for a double check. So the next night I hit the sack again. About midnight, my dreams of a vine-covered cottage in the country with Mallard were rudely shattered by a sound. The sound of a key in the lock of the door.
6: <gasps> oh, sorry, I'm sorry, Jennifer. <sighs> Take it easy.
5: Everything will be okay. Who? Who are you?
6: Ooh, oh, I'm
5: coming to that. Excuse me. You are Jennifer Shirley, sure, That's right. Use my nightingale. I'd have known you was coming, I'd have gone formal. Just what is all this?
6: And what are you doing in my flat?
5: Where have you been, Jennifer?
6: Seattle. Why? Didn't you read the papers up that way? I was too busy. I know a man named Everett Stone. Of course I do. He's a very good friend of mine. He was up from Los Angeles on business, and I let him use my flat. And now you're here. I don't
5: understand this at all. Look over there at your front door. Everett Stone was shot to death right on that spot. Everett? Dead?
6: I can't believe it. I'm sorry, it's true. You can prove you were in Seattle, Jacob. Yes. Here. My plane ticket receipt and the stubs on my luggage. I just got in at the airport less than an hour ago. Just for the record, where did you stay in Seattle? At the Olympic Hotel. We can prove that too, can we? Of course. Now wait just a moment. The shock of all this slowed me down for a second or two. Just who are you and what are you doing here? Simmer
5: down, Jennifer. My name's and Candy Metz, and I'm a private investigator. Oh yes, I've heard of you. I'm trying to find out who knocked off your friend's stone. You got any ideas? Several. So by. One being this. Does everyone around here wear dark glasses? You've got a pair on too. Same kind Everett Stone was wearing. Here,
6: have a cigarette. That's that something you want to tell Jennifer? Yes, I do. The dark glasses are standard equipment for the type of work we're in. And what would that be? We're gem dealers, precious stones. Whenever we have a valuable piece of property in our possession, we're required by bond to wear these dark glasses.
5: A disguise, so
6: to speak? That's right. Whenever it arrived from Los Angeles, he had with him the Kate Hatteras diamond. You've heard of it? Who has? Who was about to of That's right. He was on his way to Seattle to show it to a prospective buyer. The first night here, Everett appeared on a television show to display the diamond. As he left, he knew he was being followed. He called me and asked me if we could make a switch. Wanted to know if I'd take the diamond on up to Seattle and try to make the sale. And he'd stay here, is that right? Right. Well, it was a good switch, except that Everett got himself knocked off. It was trouble. Have you got the diamond with you? Right here, in my purse. Look, no. What a little beauty. And not so little, is yeah. that? No. Oh, most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. And you just carry it around in your purse like that? Certainly. Who'd think to look in a woman's purse?
7: I oh,
5: not you've got a point. Lipstick, mascara, streetcar tokens, loose chains, but not a half a million dollar rock. Did Everett say what the man looked like, Jennifer, the one who was following? Yes. You wrote a complete description for me. Have you got it?
6: Also in my purse. Here. Yikes, Miss Matson. So white as a sheep.
5: What's wrong? Plenty's wrong. This describes a certain Lieutenant Ray Mallard to a (laughs) T.
1: From San Francisco, you are listening to a National Broadcasting Company presentation, Candy Matson, Yukon 28209.
5: I slipped out of my nightie, slipped into my street clothes, slipped Jennifer a wet fish handshake, slipped out the door, slipped into my car, and slipped home to my penthouse on Telegraph Hill, and from there I kept right on slipping. That description was Mallard's beyond all doubt. What made it worse was the fact that Rembrandt and I had seen Mallard coming out of the flat with a small package that could have been a jewel box. I didn't sleep much that night, and that's for sure. In the morning, I put myself together as best I could and once again made the dismal journey down to the Hall of Justice and into Mallard's office. How are you doing, Cupcake? Not too well. I have some rather unpleasant news.
2: Such as like what?
5: Mallard Everett Stone was a gem broker.
2: Good for you. You've got clue number one.
5: You knew that?
2: Don't be ridiculous, Candy. That came out of McGuffey's Reader. Number
5: two. He had the Cape Hatteras diamond with him when he arrived from Los Angeles. a girl. You're getting warm. He switched the rock to a gal named Jennifer Shirley. She took the diamond on up to Seattle because Everett thought he was being tailed. Hey, you're getting better and
2: better. What's next?
5: You mean none of this is news to you?
2: Uh-uh. Old hat so far.
5: Well, maybe this won't be old hat. Everett wrote a description of the guy he thought was following him. He gave it to Jennifer. It's you, right on the nose, Mallard boy. What? It's you, including the little mole you have behind your right ear.
6: You don't look so good, Mallard dear. Don't you think you'd better tell me
7: what it's all about?
2: Maybe I'd better. I can't, for the life of me, figure it. Where am I? Sure. Oh, cool. <laughs> you yeah, had me worried there for a minute, cupcake <laughs> Doggone,
5: what is this, Mallard? I'm getting mad <laughs> You'll find out <laughs> Oh, I'll find out, but when will I find out?
2: Ooh, saved by the bell Excuse me a minute, Detective Mattson
5: Oh, sure <laughs>
2: Lieutenant Mallard, homicide
1: Lieutenant, this is Sergeant O'Flaherty down on radio We just got a report from Prowl Car 36
2: Yeah, O'Flaherty
1: There's been a dame killed out in that same flat name of Jennifer Shirley
5: It was then I knew that Mallard was really in the clear. The phone dropped out of his hands and he looked as if he'd been slugged with a belaying pin. Mallard had work to do, so I left, only this time I didn't go back to the flat. I have, um, Tenderloin connections. So putting two and two together, I started making the rounds down around Turk Street. Turk, Ellis, Eddie, the whole section where the Easy Street boys hang out. I came up with nothing. Nothing until I stumbled into a little bar near Eddy Street on Leavenworth. I came face to face with an old acquaintance of mine. Name of, uh, Montgomery the Mole.
1: Well, for crying in my beer and making it
2: salty, look what the height I just washed in. Hiya, Candy.
5: Hiya, Montgomery.
2: I ain't seen you since the night you caught up with me former pal, Willie club Oh,
5: I, I'm sorry I had to do that, Montgomery. Oh,
2: I ain't. I it to be too good for that crumb bum. A little second story work ain't too far out of line. I can even swallow a, a well-executed stick up. But when it comes to kidnapping and murder, uh-uh. Asana's characters draw the line. That's
5: why I'm here, Montgomery. yeah. There have been two killings in the last four days. Mm-hmm.
2: The grapevine must be slipping. I don't hear nothing about no rub They've
5: been kept quiet for a reason. Just what the reason is, I don't know. Have you heard about any of uh, out-of-town ice men dropping in the last few days?
3: No, no not a one.
5: Now, look, uh, here's a, a 20, Montgomery. Mm-hmm.
3: That's
5: all I've got. I'll send you 20 more first thing in the morning. Memory improving.
2: Ooh, ooh, just like I never lost it.
5: Well, is there a jewel boy in town?
2: Look right ahead of you up at the bar. Yeah. That's him. If he ain't a hot ice juggler. My name ain't Montgomery. Got in just about the four days ago. Calls himself
5: Finch. Oh, Montgomery, I love you. <laughs> I'm moving over there. Do me a favor. Tip the bartender off. Tell him to keep my drinks well watered. It didn't take long. A guy from out of town gets lonesome. I was sitting at the bar no more than three minutes, and we were old friends. He kept the drinks coming, and by closing time, he really had a snootful. He offered to drive me home, and oh, naturally, I accepted. We got out on the sidewalk, and suddenly he darted back into the tavern. When he returned, he was carrying something in a paper bag. We found his car and climbed in. Don't you think you ought to let me drive, Mr. Finch? Ah,
2: oh, no, I'd... no, no. Quite a few. Ah, uh, I can handle this little old
1: car. Eh, uh, eh, uh, I'm sort of a stranger here. You'll have to tell me which way to go.
5: Oh, sure. Uh, you go straight up Leavenworth here, and then you turn right on Bush. I'll direct you after that.
2: Okay, doc.
5: Oh, you seem real pretty. Uh, when did you say you got into town, Mr. Finch?
2: Oh, about four days ago. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, yeah, that's right.
5: Uh, what sort of business are you in?
2: Business? <laughs> I'm a no business. Retired, sort of. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> got lots of money. Get lots more, too. Hmm. Hey, look out for that bag.
5: Oh, Oh, oh I'm sorry clumsy of me. Yeah, what well, why it's a purse. Why, Mr. Finch.
2: <laughs> what a pack. Yeah, I it's a present for my sister in Riverside.
5: Oh, thoughtful. Oh uh, turn left on Kearney Street, will you? Sure. Then when you get to Washington, turn right, one block to Montgomery Street. It's right on the corner. Would you care to come up
2: for a nightcap, Mr. <laughs> Finch? Hey, now, that sounds like a very good idea. Sure. my <laughs> <Night> Cat. <camp. laughs> <Yeah.
5: laughs> the corner of Washington and Montgomery is just half a block from Mallard's office in the Hall of Justice. With any luck, I could do a bloodless turnover to Lieutenant Boy. I reached down by my side, got my thirty-two out of my purse, and held it under my coat. We arrived at our destination, and Finch helped me get out of the car. There was only one pale light to illuminate the street, which was just what I wanted. Ah,
2: there you are.
5: You go ahead a little way, Mr. Pinch. There seems to be something wrong with one of my heels. Oh, sure. Don't turn around, Mr. Pinch. Not if you value your life. This is a gun I've got stuck in your back, and believe me, I know how to use it.
1: Say, what goes on here? I'm almost broke, if that's what you're This after. isn't a stick-up.
5: See that door up the street in that big building? Just keep walking right on into that door. He started walking, and I hung back a few paces. I didn't want to lose this baby. He was too good. Because that purse he had in the paper bag was the one owned by Jennifer Shirley. I'd never be able to get forget that purse. It contained the Cape Hatteras diamond. I marched him into Mallard's office, and Mallard was in. I gave him the full scoop, and in less than half an hour, we had one sad Finch behind locked bars with the promise of a full written confession of two killings and one diamond theft. I had never seen anything fall into place so easily. A few minutes after we returned to Mallard's office from putting Finch into his ungilded cage, there was a knock on Mallard's door.
2: Come in.
3: Is I come to you? What on earth did you call me for at this hour of the night or morning? Yeah,
2: come on in, Rembrandt. This ought to be fun.
3: Oh,
5: you too. Yeah.
3: Where aren't you from getting your beauty rest?
5: Oh, we just wound up a couple of killings here. Those of Everett Stones and Jennifer Shirley. Well,
3: bully for you. And
2: I had nothing to do with it. Candy did it all. I left her strictly alone and she came through like a trooper. There's only one little thing she's overlooked. When she comes up with that, she'll have solved her best and last case.
5: Last case? What are you talking about, Mallard?
2: Captain Mallard, this is Riley on the top deck.
5: Captain what is this?
2: Yeah, Riley. We got this uh, Finch Joker all booked and fingerprinted. He's in the Lysol dip now, and we'll tuck him into Betty by for the night. Good. We're changing shifts now. Anything else you want from me? No, Riley. You can knock off. Fine, Captain. Oh! And all the boys up here send down congratulations. Oh, uh, thanks, Riley. See you tomorrow.
5: You, you, a captain?
3: That's right. Well, I'll try. by Jove, I think that's splendid. Congratulations, minion. Uh, thanks, Rembrandt.
5: Oh, I'm getting dizzy again. He's a captain, and what's this stuff about my best and last keys? Give out here, Mellard Bull.
2: Doggone it, you're missing the most important clue in this whole case. Now, let's review it. Go ahead, girl. I'm bursting me
3: buttons.
5: Okay. I, I first get suspicious when you turn grumpy on me, Mellard.
2: That's when I was wrestling with myself over, over a decision.
5: That's right. Th- then you meet the stone guy in a small hotel in Street.
2: Well, we had business. That's where he wanted to meet me.
5: Then you go out to those flats. You wave, he waves, you go in. When you come out, you're carrying something. We go up, stone is dead. Later, I meet Jennifer Shirley. She shows me the Cape Hatteras diamond. But she also shows me something else. A description written by Stone. A description fitting you exactly.
2: (laughs) Here. Look what was in Jennifer's purse, along with the diamond. What? Another description. One that fits Finch. Everett Stone accidentally gave Jennifer the wrong slip of paper. The one that described me.
5: Oh, for Pete's sake. That sure had me worried, Melodyne. Isn't there something
2: else that worries you, Cupcake?
5: Yes, there is, darn it, But I can't put my finger. On... Wait a minute. That's it. The package—the one you carried down the stairs from that flat. At last! At
2: last! You finally did it, Candy. Here it is, right here. Open it. See it for yourself.
5: Uh, okay. Well, it's beautiful. What a lovely ring. Did you steal this from Everett Stone?
2: <laughs> sure did. The price he gave me made it a first-class deal. Uh, why, why don't you try it on?
6: Ooh. <laughs> I'd love to.
2: Oh, I, I i don't think you're putting it on the right finger, Candy.
6: which Which finger do you mean,
2: Third finger, left hand.
5: Oh, you... You don't mean that... Mallard, tell me.
2: I want you to be my wife, Candy, dear.
5: Oh, say it again, will you, Mallard, dear? This is only another one of those fool dreams of mine, I'm sure.
2: Ah, uh, it's not a dream, Cupcake. I mean it. More than I've ever meant anything in my life. Will you marry me, Candy? You big idiot. You don't need the answer to that. I wasn't asking you.
5: Oh, yes, I'll marry you. Captain, dear. Forever and ever
2: you see now what I meant about this being your best and last case?
5: Oh, yes, you're wrong. I have another and a bigger case coming up.
2: Uh, what's that, you little monkey?
5: Just trying to be an awfully good wife to you.
3: My word, I was wondering.
5: Hmm? Uh, what, Vambra?
3: When you're married, how shall I address you?
5: Oh, that's easy. Just Mrs. Captain Mallard. Well, I won't even have to change my initials.
1: For excitement and adventure and romance, just dial.
5: Andy met, I mean Mallard, um, uh, Mrs. Captain Ray, Yukon <laughs> two oh, that won't be my phone number, i oh, gee, I'm so confused, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs>
1: Heard on the program were Jerry Walter as Montgomery the Mole, John Grover as Finch, and Helen Klebe as Jennifer Shirley. Jack Thomas is Rembrandt Watson, and Henry Leff is Captain Ray Mallard. The program stars Natalie Masters as Candy and is written and directed by Monty Masters. Sound effects are created by Bill Brownell and Eloise Rowan is heard at the organ. Our engineer was Phil Ryder. The characters in the story were entirely fictitious. Any resemblance to actual people or names is purely coincidental. The program came to you from San Francisco, and this is Bud Heide speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
4: Welcome back. Well, quite an end for Candy Manson. Um, and, uh, I don't know about Mallard's approach. Acting like, uh, the woman you want to marry you is kind of dense and slow for not figuring it out generally doesn't guarantee a yes, but everybody lives happily ever after. I think the case itself had some pretty uh, daring exploits by Candy, which made it a pretty fun and, uh, Enjoyable episode for that perspective. well, we turn to listener comments and questions now, and uh, I've saved the one specifically about uh, Candy Matson. Uh, Mary says on podcast alley of all the old time radio detective podcasts on the webs, this is absolutely the best. I've been enjoying Candy Matson. Keep up the great work uh, from Mary. Thanks so much, Mary. I received an email here from uh, Leigh from uh, British Columbia. She says, Hello, Adam. I recently listened to your podcast of the Candy Matson episode The Movie Company and recognized the voice of the movie director, Reginald Dick, played by Hal Burdick, as someone I enjoyed on several of your old-time radio podcasts. I did an online search for uh, Mr... Burdick, to find out what other radio programs he had starred in. and All that really came up was his role on Night Editor. Can you tell me what other radio programs I may have heard of him in? I'm a big fan of Candy Matson and all other old-time radio shows you share with us. Thanks for... Uh, All the great work you do, your attention to detail, and enthusiasm during your comments is always appreciated. Uh, Thanks also to Andrew for making these programs sound so much more uh, recent than they actually are. All the best from Lee in British Columbia. Well, thanks so much. Um, Well, the name, I I, uh, could not actually find anything. uh, The the name sent was Hal Rudick, um, and it was actually uh, Burdick, uh, so that might have affected it. Uh, the place I go uh, when I'm looking for uh, programs by an actor is I go to what's a website called Radio Gold Index. So radiogoldindex.com, just like it sounds, uh, all one word. And uh, I go under the Artist Search. Uh, and under Hal Burdick, all I found were uh, night uh editor uh, programs now uh one thing that david golden who uh, runs the site makes clear is that it's not necessarily a complete list of everything that actors have been in uh or is it always 100% accurate uh but it's the best way to find uh, parts that uh have feet uh or uh role other roles of actors uh because it's very nicely cross referenced uh, Mr. Burdick may have appeared in other programs. Uh, one challenge is uh, uh, guest appearances don't always end up credited. And sometimes uh, the people who are listening to the programs can guess the voices and they guess accurately. And sometimes they can't. So a night editor is all I'm able to find if a listener is uh, able to locate Mr. Uh, any other roles by Mr. Burdick, uh, let me know and I'll pass it along to uh, our listeners, uh, both the, both uh, lay as well as uh, the rest of our listeners. Thank you. Dan provides us a little bit of trivia. A note about Candy Nat- Matson, the announcer of the show, Dudley Manlove, would go on to cult movie status when he appeared as Eros, uh, the alien in Ed Wood's infamous turkey, Plan 9 from Outer Space. You can spot that very distinctive voice a mile away. And by the way, that was his real name. Well, thanks so much. Uh, and uh, the Digital Deli's uh, definitive Candy Matson page actually does have a picture of Dudley Manlove uh, in uh, character in Plan 9 from Outer Space. Um, I should note that uh, while it doesn't appear that they expected the show to... Uh, be looked at for national revival. Candy Madsen, uh there was a look for, uh, at the idea of doing a Hollywood uh, version. Uh, and so, Natalie Matters, ret- Masters, Return to Star, uh, and with a new cast. And we will tell you about that uh, pilot episode uh, next week. Uh, and that will wrap up our review of the Candy Matson program. In the meanwhile, send your comments to Box 13 at GreatDetectives.net. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and give us a call 208-991-4783 uh, But from Boise, Idaho this is your host Adam Graham signing off Judy was boring Hello Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com
5: It's my little escape
4: Now
2: Judy's the life of the party
5: Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon
2: Whoa, take it easy Judy